Revelation 14, 6-7. It's John's vision of the eternal gospel being proclaimed in the new creation. Then I saw another angel flying directly overhead with an eternal gospel to proclaim to those who dwell on earth, to every nation and tribe and language and people. And he said with a loud voice, Fear God and give Him glory, because the hour of His judgment has come. And worship Him who made heaven and earth, the sea and the springs of water. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Can I just say something real quick about that? That's the eternal gospel. What what is the gospel? You ever ask yourself the question, what what is the gospel? There's lots of different ways to get to that answer in the Scripture. But, but here in Revelation 14, the eternal gospel is all of God's people from every tribe, tongue, nation, and ethnic group gathered around His throne forever and ever, proclaiming that He alone is God and worthy of worship. This is an epistle reading from Romans chapter 3. And this, of course, is, this is just classic Reformation stuff. This is uh, one of the texts that Luther was struggling with as he came to his, the understanding of salvation by faith in Christ. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law so that every mouth may be stopped, and the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. It's the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there's no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in His divine forbearance He had passed over former sins. It was to show His righteousness at the present time so that He might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Then what becomes of our boasting? It's excluded. By what kind of law? By a law of works? No, but by the law of faith. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The Holy Gospel according to St. John, the 8th chapter. Glory to you, O Lord. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in Him, If you abide in My word, you are truly My disciples. And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And they answered him, We're offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you'll become free? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Okay, John 8, 31-36. That'll be the sermon text uh, for this morning. When you first look at this text, you might think, I mean, the Romans, the Romans 3 text is like the place to go, right, for Reformation Sunday. This might be a little bit less obvious when you first read it. Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in Him, If you abide in My words, you are truly My disciples. And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And now, they're going to be offended by that line about the truth will set you free. Because they don't consider themselves to be in need of being set free. They think of themselves as already free. They answered him, we are offspring of Abraham, and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? 
So they are very, very comfortable in their status before God. Their status before God is totally connected with their religion. We're the offspring of Abraham. We don't actually really need you to set us free. We're already, we've already got religion. We're already good to go. We can trace our, for them, we can trace our ethnicity uh, straight back to Abraham. What, what do we need your help for? And then Jesus says in verse 34, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. That's an interesting comment to make, I think. It's, it's an interesting way to answer their question. You know, why do we need you? And Jesus says, because everybody who commits a sin is a slave to sin. Do, do you remember this? Do you remember? I, I was in a adult confirmation of the new members class on Wednesday night. We were talking about this. And I mean, I was thinking about this sermon and everything. And do you remember the moment when you realized that there's something that I want to do or there's like some behavior that I don't care for in myself and I want to stop it and I just can't do it? Do you, do you remember ever real? And I hope you did. I hope you've got, got, ever got to the point. I hope you've got to that point at, at some time where you where you're like, I don't have any control over this. I remember when Harry was. This is about four or five years ago. Uh, Harry was fussing really bad about something or other, and we were talking to him about you know don't fuss. And he sat there for a second and he said, I don't want to fuss, but I can't stop. And I thought to myself, oh, that was actually kind of crushing to me, because as long as he was fussing, I, I, you know, I wasn't fussing. I was fine with the situation. But he was fussing, and so I could tell him, like, hey, stop fussing, kid. Fussing's wrong. But as soon as he said that, I was like, oh, th- that's me. I told, I told the guys on Wednesday night, like, and a lot of you know that my, I have this huge spiritual battle with overeating. I, I call it a spiritual battle. You might think it's like a willpower thing. But believe me, it's not a willpower thing. I go into a meal knowing I'm going to overeat. And I don't want to. And I tell myself, okay, don't overeat. And the self that says don't overeat knows that it's just a joke. That he's even saying it. And the self that's going to overeat sometimes plays along with, okay, let's focus hard. But they both know I'm going to overeat. I actually don't have control over it. I don't have control over my gluttony. The, the person who sins is a slave to sin. Sin isn't something that, you, that, that comes and goes. It's a, it's a lie that we tell ourselves, more on that in just a second, that you can like do it and then like not do it and it's okay, you know, or you do it and you're done with it, ask God to forgive you, and then move on and don't do it anymore. That's actually not the way sin works. Sin is a slavery system. It owns you. You know this. You know that there's no way that you could love money less than you do. Imagine getting paid less. Imagine taking this big, massive pay break. What does that do to you? You know that there are people in your life who, that you, sh- who you should love and forgive for things they've done to you, and you know that you just can't do it. You can't just like flip the switch and say, okay, I'm going to start loving them. And this is what these Pharisees need to know, is that the person who sins, which is all of us, right, is a slave to sin. It owns you. You can't stop doing it. And maybe, maybe you're like, well, yeah, you can. You should stop overeating, right? I can maybe stop overeating if I replaced it with something else. In fact, I started this diet in uh, January. This is, you guys don't really need to know this, I guess, but this is it. I just feel like sharing my personal life with you. 
I started this uh, new diet in January where I wasn't going to eat any sugar. I had not had any sort of soda for four years before that. And I can only do that specific diet if I drink a bunch of soda. You know? You, you might be able to quit smoking, but only if you start eating lots of chocolate. You might be able to lose weight, but only if you get yourself addicted to working out. So what we do is we, we're slaves to sin, and you can sort of shift the slavery around a little bit, but you're just going like to be slaves to something else. Right? And, and as soon as, this is true too, as soon as you get success in any one of these areas, you'll instantly find that you're a slave to pride. You'll instantly find that you're a slave to self-satisfaction. You cannot escape your sinfulness. It's there all the time. Now, there's two ways that we as a culture deal with this sort of slavery issue. Everybody, everybody feels it. It's there. There's two ways to deal with it. Lots of little ways, but there's two broad ways. The first is the irreligious way, the anti-religious way, and it goes like this. There's really no such thing as like a moral right or wrong. There's two standards by which you judge whether something is okay or not okay. And the first standard is, is, is it genuine? Is it really you? Do you really, really want to do it? Is it your personal sovereign choice to do it? If so, then it's okay. If it meets standard two as well. Does it hurt anybody? And if it doesn't, if, if, if you can answer, uh, you, you know, yes to the first and no to the second, then go ahead and do it. Really, I mean, so, you know, the choices that you make with your life are nobody's business but your own. You make them if you want to make them. And as long as they don't hurt anybody. I mean, some people would even say it's okay if they hurt yourself just as long as they don't hurt anybody else. Some people would say, no, you shouldn't hurt yourself. Some people would say, you like to eat too much? Go for it, you know. You're not really hurting anybody but yourself. And if, if, if food's the thing that you love. Now, now, if it makes you overweight, then you have the cultural pressure of looking like the cultural norm, skinny. And so that's like, a, that's like a separate issue. But as far as the overeating, if you can overeat and maintain a reasonable figure, then help yourself, you know? It's, it's, it's your life. You live it the way you want to. Now, you see what this does. There's no such thing as slavery here. There's personal choices. I like to eat too much food. But that's just my personal choice. I, it doesn't really own me. I just like something I like to do. Or there are things that we are enslaved to. You, you, you could be addicted to heroin. But that's not really slavery in this in the sense that Jesus is talking about, the moral sense. That's just something that you can't help. And so there's really no morality involved here. It's a way for us to say that I'm okay and you're okay. I like to do stuff, you like to do stuff, and it might be unhealthy, unhealthy and you probably should stop doing that. You should get help for your heroin thing. But it's not really a God issue. That's the irreligious way. The religious way is this. There's a religious way to do that, and that is the way of the Pharisees here. You carve out a space where you say, we're okay. You're not talking about us, Jesus. We know people who are slaves and who need to be liberated from sin, but we are the seed of Abraham. Clearly, you need to go deal with somebody else and not us. We've never been slaves to anybody. And this is the religious way. To say, we've achieved it. We are right. We are the good ones. We are there. We no longer need any more help. Now, 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 maybe we need to get better at the stuff we're already good at. Maybe we need to study a little bit more and get smarter about the stuff that we say we believe. But as far as like us 
being slaves to sin. I mean, that's, that's, that's a little bit too strong. That's the pharisaical way. And this is what the Reformation challenged, right? The church had gotten to the place, our church, the Christian church had gotten to the place where we become self-satisfied. We were good. What was our main problems? We needed better facilities, right? I mean, that's, that, that was the issue in, in the early 16th century. All the money that was needed to, to, to redo St. Peter's Basilica. We need better facilities. We need more people to stop rebelling and to obey us. The problem, though, is that you deal with all that little surface stuff, better issues, uh, I mean, b- better facilities, uh, you know, being smarter, studying more, but it doesn't get it to, it doesn't get to the heart of the issue. The, even us good Pharisees, even us good Christians are slaves to sin. It owns us. And what we need is not to be better at what we're good at already. What we need desperately is to be liberated. And what Jesus has to do with the Pharisees here is to convince them that you are not good. That you are not okay. That you are actually, in spite of your great religiosity, in spite of your great morals, in spite of your great knowledge, you're a slave to sin. And this is what the law teaches us. The law teaches us that you're far, far worse than you thought you were. You walked into the doctor's office this morning, and you thought maybe, well, some, some of you actually thought this was going to be a celebration of a celebration of Lutheran life. That would be the, the absolute wrong thing to do. This is why John 8 is in the gospel reading, is because we're not to be celebrated. Jesus calls us on the carpet and says, you need to repent. You are not good to go. You are all slaves to sin. And the message of the law is that your condition is far worse than you thought it was. You know, we walked in here and we thought, I probably need to lose a little bit of weight. Uh, you know, maybe I need to eat healthier. And the doctor looks us in the face this morning and say, says, no, you're actually terminal. Your body is riddled with cancer. And, and until you come, if you walk out of the doctor's office and say, no, no, I'm, I'm, I'm going to go home and have a salad. I'll be all right. You're going to go home and you're going to die. And if you go to your grave saying, I was the offspring of Abraham. I was a member of a Reformation family church. It's going to do you no good. Jesus is calling you this morning to understand that no, your condition is actually far worse than you thought. You are a slave to sin. But if you can listen to the diagnosis, believe the diagnosis, then what you will see is that Jesus can bring you to a place where he can announce to you, that he is able to heal you in far greater and more profound ways than you ever dreamed possible. That's what Jesus says in verse 15. If the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. You are slaves, but freedom is up for grabs here. Freedom is available. Jesus can free you. He has the power to do so. Now, what we do, this is the second, this is the religious way, is we shut him out. We don't need freedom because we're good Christians, right? So you have to not do that. We have to come to our knees and repent. Well, there's two days. This is, what the, this is the great legacy of the Reformation, is that there were men and women 500 years ago who said, you know what, we're not okay. There's something wrong here. We look okay. We feel okay. We've got all kinds of political power. We have great worship services. We have the Bible. It's being printed now and easily accessible. But there's something wrong here. It can't be enough that we're just like showing up and mailing it in. We want redemption. We want to be bought out of the slave house of sin. We want to be free. There's two things I want to say about the Reformation now. One is a danger and the other is a hope. 
The danger is this. The danger is thinking that the Reformation is over. The danger is thinking that Luther and Calvin and Zwingli and Huss and all the great men and women of the 1600s have done their job and now here we are. We are the fruit of that. We have reached the pinnacle. We are the offspring of Abraham. And maybe we need to study our, you know, our confessions in the Bible a little bit more. Maybe we need to do a better job of trying to convince other people that we're good. But essentially, we're okay. And Jesus comes and says, no, the Reformation's not over. As soon as we get to that point, we're back where we were 500 years ago, thinking that everything's okay. But here's the second thing. The hope of the Reformation is this, that we would be constantly reforming. Augustine used a phrase uh, in Latin, semper reformanda, always reforming, always coming back to God's word and asking, God, change our minds. God, point out to us these sins that bind us, the sins of pride, the sins of greed, the sins of gluttony and overeating. Point these out to us and always constantly be coming on our knees to the foot of the cross and asking God, be merciful to us sinners and receiving from Jesus at the foot of the cross the liberation that he promises and gives us there. Amen.